Salutations, listeners. You are listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And as our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite all-time favorite jazz musicians. He was simply known as The Sound. That was his nickname. No kidding. We're going to be talking about tenor saxophone legend Stan Getz, who you're hearing behind us right now. Now, rather than just do an overview about Stan's career purely, One of my favorite things to do here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast is to take a different angle and a different look with a different perspective on some of these artists that are sometimes more well-known. So with this episode, we're going to be calling it Gets and Guests. And what we hope to do is to give you a good overview, a great overview, swinging overview of some of Stan Getz's greatest collaborations. Now, that being said, we're not going to hit everybody because he worked with an immense number of superstars. But we are going to try to hit some of the high points and um, present to you in 21 tracks some of the best collaborations that, in our opinion, that Stan had. Some are vocalists, some are guitarists, some are pianists, uh, some are trumpet players, some are trombone players, uh, some are other saxophonists. He didn't shy away from that, that kind of competition. So what you're going to hear is some people who invited Stan to be a part of their session. You're going to hear some tracks that uh, Stan had some of these superstars even in his band at one time. And you're also going to hear some tracks in which it's an equal collaboration between both of the great artists. So, um, but yeah, we're excited to present this to you, gets and guests. Um, and yeah, it's going to be full swinging. I mean, he is a legend in the jazz canon. There is no doubt about that. But I will say that Stan's discography is way deeper than just the saxophone player on the girl from Ipanema record. Stan was a giant in his own right. In fact, there was a story that he was talking with John Coltrane, another tenor saxophone legend, and he said, man, John, I wish I could sound like you, you know, all those ideas. And Train looked at him and said, I wish I had that tone. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's kind of reminiscent of the uh, Dewey Redmond, Michael Brecker story. And the same sort of thing, you know. Uh, But he, like I said, his nickname was The Sound. So sit back, relax, grab a beverage if you'd like, uh, and get ready to listen to 21 swinging beautiful tracks um, full of just fabulous jazz with Stan Getz and guests. 
enjoy. Thank you. 
So that was a tune called The Peacocks, and that was written by the great pianist who we just heard there with Stan Getz, Jimmy Rolls. Um, and that's the name of the album, is The Peacocks. Stan Getz presents Jimmy Rolls, The Peacocks. And... Um, I don't know if, if, if anybody who's listening to this has ever heard Jimmy Rolls speak or if they're even that familiar with Jimmy Rolls. But first of all, let me say, he's an awesome pianist, composer. He's been around, well, I mean, he was around in the, like the 50s, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, I mean, he's just a really swinging pianist. But he can also have this beautiful tender side. Uh, he also played um, piano behind many singers, uh, including Billie Holiday, towards the end of her career. <clears throat> and uh, the great, to me, the great part about Jimmy Rolls is he kind of sounds like what you'd want everybody's grandpa to sound like. Because he kind of sounds like this. This is kind of what Jimmy Rolls kind of sounded like. Yeah. You know, so um, I just love Jimmy Rolls' voice. It's, it's so cool. It's gruff in a in a snugly sort of way, you know. But um, in the liner notes to this uh, Columbia album, Jimmy Rolls talks about uh, the inspiration for the Peacocks, the tune that we just heard there. And he said, uh, well, the liner notes for this track says, this album's achingly exquisite title tune hit its author, Jimmy Rolls, as inspirations often do, unbidden, and had an awkward time for capturing it. Actually, it came to me when I was driving home from work one night, says Rolls. I pulled over to the side of the road and wrote down what I was thinking. Then I worked on it the next day and finished it. I'm glad it happened. Always been glad about it. Stan Getz's plaintive peacock wail was never more sweet and sad. And Jimmy Rolls's tune could have been, even if it wasn't, penned solely as an exemplary vehicle for that incomparably sweet and sad tenor. The soft, evocative cascades of notes, heavy with longing and languor, paint a mood picture reflecting Rolls' admiration of such impressionist composers as Ravel and Debussy. I really love that stuff, he told interviewer Lynn Lyons. Every so often, you crave something really deep. I think that's awesome. I think that's a great um, explanation 
of that um, that track because it's a gorgeous track. So, and um, not bad for 1975. That's when this album was recorded. So, kudos, kudos Jimmy Rolls and kudos Stan Getz. So, um, yeah, fantastic pianist. And speaking of fantastic pianists, the middle track right there featured uh, a beautiful duo as well uh, between Stan Getz on tenor saxophone and pianist Albert Daly. This is a cat a lot of not a lot of people really talk about, um, but the piano in Albert Daly's hands is truly beautiful and exquisite. And uh, they did an entire album, duo album together. Uh, for Blue Note Records in 1983 uh, entitled Poetry and it's seven standards throughout the whole album and they range in everything from bebop to uh, like you know the great American songbook um, to just just choice beautiful works and one of the ones that my ear was drawn to was what we heard there, the Thad Jones composition, A Child is Born. And it's just a beautiful melody, and I can't think of anyone better to present a beautiful melody, melody than Stan Getz. And when you pair that with Albert Daly and his piano stylings, it's just really beautiful. Uh, so I certainly hope that you would enjoyed that. Uh, the other standards on this album are A Night in Tunisia, Confirmation, Tune Up, Lover Man, Round Midnight. Spring can really hang you up the most, as well as A Child is Born. So, um, yeah, it's just got like this artwork on the cover, but don't ever judge an album by the cover, right? So, yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous album. Mm. Uh, and then we started off the set with probably one of the most famous pianists in all of recorded jazz history, if not the most recorded pianist in jazz history, talking about Oscar Peterson. And it comes from the album Stan Getz and the Oscar Peterson Trio. So this is a a equal collaboration kind of album. And um, it's on the Verve label. And what we heard, the track that we started off the entire set with, was the Stan Getz original uh, entitled Tours End. Um, and of course, that featured Stan Getz on the tennis saxophone, Oscar Peterson on the piano, Herb Ellis on the guitar, and Ray Brown, Ray Brown, Ray Brown on the bass. And uh, for those with big ears, if those chord changes to Tours End sounded relatively familiar, you're not off your rocker. That actually was the chord changes to Sweet Georgia. Brown. So, uh, they're all improvising on a tune that they know the chords to extremely well. And the results are swinging magnificent. So, um, magnificence. So, uh, I just wanted to start out, you know, coming out of the gate swinging with a great tune like that. And then get into some of the more exquisite tunes like um, the duo with Albert Daly and the duo with Jimmy Rolls. So, uh, what we're talking about here is <clears throat> a spotlight called Gets and Guests. And what we're doing is we're highlighting 21 tracks of Stan Getz uh, amongst 
great, well-known um, jazz superstars, and we're off to a great start. And I wanted to say real quick that the inspiration behind this is I'm actually in the middle of reading a book that was given to me by my good friend, Brother Keith, and um, it's a biography of the great Stan Getz uh, by um, Donald Magan. And um, it, it's it's really in-depth. And, um, yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit later down in some of the other breaks. But that kind of started off the, you know, the seed in my brain to do a little spotlight on Mr. Stan Getz. So I'm hoping you're enjoying it and uh, you're digging it. So sit back. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening, and let's get to some more gets and guests here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
Yes, yes, that is one of my favorite, favorite songs in all of the jazz canon. That tune might sound really familiar to some listeners. It's a tune called Windows, and it's way before PCs were really even a thought. Um, Trust me. Um, This was recorded in 1967 with Grady Tate at the drums, the great Ron Carter at the bass, Stan Getz on the tenor saxophone, and the pianist and composer of that tune, the one and only Chick Corea, who was a member of Stan's uh, band for many years. (coughs) And it was recorded March 30th, 1967, uh, part of the Verve catalog. Um, yeah, it comes from Stan Getz's album Sweet Rain And <clears throat> that's just an incredible album All the way around the board um, Not a bad note in that entire album So if you don't have that album You can feel safe getting that one Every note's a gem You can take my word tip for it um, <clears throat> In fact, there was um, I caught this interview Slash uh, performance uh, on YouTube of Stan Getz at the White House. I believe it was during the Reagan administration because uh, George H.W. Bush was sitting with Nancy Reagan. And um, Stan Getz was performing. He was the main performer. And Chick was actually the um, pianist in that group that he called for that particular occasion. And... um, (laughs) You know, they were asking, I believe the question was something to the nature of, well, you know, are you proud of some of your, you know, former members of your various bands throughout the years? And Stan's answer was, well, yeah, I'm proud of all of them. You know, their success is kind of like my success. And um, in fact, here's one right here. And he motions over to Chick Corea and he, he says, in fact, I would venture to say that Chick is probably my most successful um, former member of one of my, my groups. And the look on Chick's face was just like, wow. Seems like you could have knocked him over with a feather. So, no pun intended. But, um, yeah, because light is a feather. Get it? But, anyway, um, yeah, I, I think that Stan was really proud of that. And, you know, there's a whole history of great, great cats that have played with Stan Getz. I mean, there's even a Jazz 625 uh, from, you know, the UK um, <clears throat> that's sometimes shown on BBC. Uh, what is it? It was Jazz Goes to College uh, from the London School of Economics, and the band was, and I kid you not, I shit you not, it was that good. Roy Haynes on drums, Stan Getz on tenor saxophone, Steve Swallow on upright bass, which is, if you know anything about Steve Swallow, that's a hell of a rarity. And the one and only Gary Burton on vibraphone. That was his quartet. So, I mean, talk about superstars, right? I mean, just phenomenal cats have played with Stan. That's one of the reasons that we're really kind of wanting to highlight all the guests that have either been a part of Stan's band, have you know, shared an equal billing on these albums, um, or that he has come and been a guest on their albums. So um, there's quite a treasure trove, and we're hoping to, to shed some light on that. So um, 
<clears throat> Chick Corea is obviously one of the highlights um, of not only Stan's career uh, as a composer, but as a member. So, And then the metal track that we heard in that set was a another just heart-wrenching, beautiful, gorgeous ballad by Stan Getz and pianist Kenny Barron. And it comes from a two-CD set called People Time on Verve Records and Gitani's Jazz. And um, the tune that we heard opens up the second disc, uh, and it's a beautiful song written by bassist Charlie Hayden. And it's entitled First Song for Ruth. And that was written for his wife, Ruth Cameron. Um, yeah, I can only imagine. And that was recorded in, like, let's see. Does it say on the back? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was recorded in March at uh, the Café Montmartre in Copenhagen. In March 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, 1991. So, not long before Stan passed away. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine just how Charlie Hayden felt hearing the beauty of that that recording, knowing that you wrote that tune and Stan Getz took that and just made the whole flower blossom. You know, I think I'd probably have tears in my eyes. So, Because Stan is an ultimate interpreter of beautiful ballads. So, yeah. And, you know, talking about not a bad note, here's two CDs, not a bad note from Kenny Barron or Stan Getz. And I mean, just gorgeous songs. Uh, there is no greater love, soul eyes, softens the morning sunrise, stable mates. I remember Clifford, night and day. It, and the list just goes on. It's just gorgeous. You can't go wrong. Um, so yeah, Kenny Barron. You know he's uh, one of the cats who's still out there swinging, and we love Kenny. Uh, but yeah, man, that duo, whew, beautiful and heavy at the same time. And then we started off the set. Uh, with a tune called Funkalero, written by the great pianist Bill Evans, who we actually got a chance to hear on that track right there. In fact, all four of the members that we heard are jazz legends. So Stan Getz, of course, is on the tenor saxophone. Bill Evans is on the piano. Ron Carter yet again on the bass, bookending it with uh, Ron Carter. But on the drums, Elvin Jones. That's right. Hmm. Emperor Elvin Jones. Um, yeah. Funkalero, a tune written by Bill Evans. <clears throat> Comes off the Verve Records album, Stan Getz and Bill Evans. Green, kind of a green label with like this uh, portrait of the two of them playing in the studio. And just killer tunes. Night and Day, But Beautiful, My Heart Stood Still, Funkalero. Yeah. It's it's a good album. You can't go wrong with that either. Um, anytime Stan Getz and Bill Evans are the headliners, you know it's going to be good. But then when you add Ron Carter and Elvin Jones, it it only sweetens the deal. So, and trust me, I know that Elvin's kind of known for his intensive, like bashing and very emotional drum playing with with John Coltrane. But that is not what's going on here. 
So, yeah, it's good stuff. Trust me. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So back to the book, uh, which, by the way, thank you. I'm not sure if I said that in the last segment, but thank you, Brother Keith, you know, for that book. Um, it's bringing many hours of enjoyment. And I'm trying to give that back. So there you go. Um, one of the stories that I, I found fascinating is that when he was born, first of all, his head was so large when he was being born, it took his mother like something like 35, 36 hours of labor. So good Lord, right? Um, but the doctor had to use the forceps to, to get him out uh, so that you know the baby and the mother wouldn't die. Uh, in childbirth but in that process of using the forceps the doctor almost ripped one of his ears off completely and actually had to reattach one of his ears so what that 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 sounds almost traumatic and crazy that he would turn out to be such a good musician especially after an instance like that right but it turns out that Stan Getz actually had perfect pitch so that's one of the things I didn't know I've been listening to Stan's music for you know three what three decades and I never knew that Stan Getz had perfect pitch now for those of you who aren't sure who aren't musicians and you know you're just kind of casually listening to this let me explain from a musician's what a point of view what a perfect pitch is it means that you can hear any tone of any note, whether it's a clang in the back of a refrigerator or the hum of a train or, a, a, or an airplane engine um, or the sound out of a trombone or, or, or a piano, and you know what note that is exactly, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, G sharp, C sharp, whatever, B flat, and you know if it's in tune or not. Like you can tell, you, you can hear a piano play a note and go, yeah, it's 20 cent sharp. Yeah, it's a little sharp. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's a little flat. So you can tell right away if something's flat or sharp, plus what pitch it is, what note name, what letter name. And no doubt that helped Stan in his musical career, on top of the fact that he had a photographic memory, which I found out too, which is, I mean, you talk about having all the aces, right? I mean, you got a photographic memory, you've got perfect pitch, and you've got this beautiful sound on the tenor saxophone. How can you go wrong? Exactly. So, um, all right, enough talking from me. Uh, let's get back to some more great swinging music here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast special episode entitled Gets and Guests. <laughs>
desafinado, or slightly out of tune. One of the most famous tunes associated with Stan Getz. <clears throat> and of course, that comes off of the album Jazz Samba, featuring Stan Getz on the tenor saxophone and Charlie Bird. Not to be confused with Charlie Parker, whose nickname was Bird. This is Charlie Bird, B-Y-R-D, who is a fantastic jazz guitarist, uh, acoustic guitarist. And behind Stan Getz and Charlie Bird is Charlie Bird's brother, Gene Bird, on guitar and bass. Uh, Keeter Betts is on bass. Um, Buddy Deppenschmidt and Bill Reichenbach on drums. It was recorded February 13th, 1962. Um, Yeah, and this is one of the albums that really ushered in uh, one of the things, uh, one of the movements that was associated with Stan Getz for quite a majority of his career. Um, The whole bossa nova movement in jazz um yeah and there are a host of fantastic albums and we just heard a trio of them right there um with stan playing alongside many great guitarists and uh charlie bird is no exception and that is one of the definitive versions of desafinado uh and it's just it's groovy I mean, it's relaxing, it's groovy, it literally makes you want a pina colada, no matter what time of day it is. Um, before that, we heard one of the most evocative um, tunes in the entire Bossa Nova canon. And it was How Insensitive, or Insensites, um, which was uh, a piece composed by Antonio Carlos Chobim and Vinicius Gemoray. And uh, this particular arrangement was arranged by Jobim himself. Um, Jobim is kind of like the Gershwin of Brazil. He has so many tunes under his belt um, that he is responsible for and due to his imagination, his creativity, and his pen, that it it goes without saying that he is the, I mean, the musical father of Bossa Nova music and Brazil. He wrote Desafinado, which we just heard the last tune in the set, and he wrote the, the second tune. He wrote the last two tunes that we just heard. So, among the girl from Ivanema and, and, and many others, um, but yeah, there is no overestimating uh, all the great musical accomplishments that um, Jobim has made for Bossa Nova music and uh, his many things. So uh, that recordings that he has made with many superstars in jazz and vocalists as well. So um, yeah. So on this particular track, though, and Sensites that we heard. We heard Stan Getz, of course, on the tenor saxophone. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jobim was actually playing piano on that track. George de Vivier and Tommy Williams were on bass. Paulo Ferreira 
and Jose Carlos were on the drums, and on the vocals, the beautiful Maria Toledo. Such a beautiful voice. But the guitarist, who is sharing uh, equal billing on this album with Stan Getz, is the guitarist and composer in his own right, Louise Bonfa. And incredible guitar, uh, lyrical, beautiful, and uh, loads of great tunes on this album. And this album is called Jazz Samba Encore. So Jazz Samba was the very first album uh, that came first with what we just heard last, right? With Desafinado and Charlie Bird and Stan Getz. And then the sequel, if you will, is Jazz Samba Encore with Stan Getz and Louise Bonfa. Uh, and then we started off the set with Maracatu 2. <laughs> Uh, a tune co-composed by Stan Getz and guitar master Lorendo Almeida. And that's who we heard, with Stan Getz on the tenor sax, Lorendo Almeida on the guitar, George de Vivier again on the bass, Edison Machado, Jose Sorez, and Dave Bailey on the drums, uh, Luis Parga and Jose Paulo on the Latin rhythm. That's what it's called here. And it's on the Verve Records release. Um, Stan Getz with guest artist Lorendo Almeida. So, yeah. And great tunes on that entire album as well. Um, yeah, Verve really cashing in on the whole Bossa Nova craze. Um, and Dave Bailey, you know, uh, that's a name that, that, that pops in my memory because uh, if you're a fan of the podcast... You may have heard uh, Dave Bailey's name mentioned. He's played with many Blue Note uh, records artists such as Jimmy Smith. Dave Bailey was the drummer for the Back of the Chicken Shack session with Jimmy Smith and Kenny Burrell. There you go. Um, Okay, so yeah, the whole Bossa Nova craze was definitively a part of Stan's career and uh, let him record and rub shoulders with some awesome musicians from Brazil, uh, such as Jobim, Luis Bonfa, Joao Gilberto, Astru Gilberto, Lorindo Almeida, so many of these wonderful cats. And that's just part of the great names that you'll hear. I mean, so far, let's just do a quick rundown. We, we, we have um, Oscar Peterson, we have Albert Daly. We have Jimmy Rolls, Bill Evans, um, Kenny Barron, Chick Corea, Lorendo Almeida, Luis Bonfa, and Charlie Bird. That's not a bad list so far. So, um, we want to let you know that if you're trying to write or scribble all this down to the best of your ability, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. We have all of our titles for every episode in the order in which they're played listed on our website with the album artists and the album artwork. So if you find a tune that, as you're listening that you really dig, don't worry about searching for it or trying to shazam it or any of that. We've got you covered. Just go to the website. The website is Dr. Jazz Podcast. D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast. No spaces there, okay? drjazzpodcast.wordpress.com 
And there you can find out all the information about every episode throughout the entire history of the podcast. So even if you find another episode that you're interested in music, just go right back to that website and we got you covered. And if you'd like to write to us, just hit that contact link at the top and feel free to write us an email, even if it's a short one. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from our listeners and let and it lets us know that people are listening and digging it. So we'd love to hear from you if you got a minute. So, um, yeah. And don't forget, you can find the Dr. Jazz podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, if any of your friends would be interested in something like the Dr. Jazz podcast, by all means, share that with them. And uh, we'd love to have some new listeners. So, um, yeah. So enough from me. Let's get back to some groovy music with Stan Getz and guests here on the Dodge Jazz Podcast.
Thank you. 
Ah, so gorgeous. So that is Stan Getz performing as a guest on Ella Fitzgerald. That's right, the Ella Fitzgerald, Lady Time herself. Ella Fitzgerald's Verve album, Like Someone in Love. Uh, He actually guest spots on quite a few tracks on that album. And that's one of my favorites right there is a tune called Your Blase. And it's just gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. Um, yeah, man. And that's not one that's on a lot of folks' radar is Ella and Stan Getz performing together. But they did. So that's just a hint of what I'm talking about. And of course, you know, Stan Getz would go on to perform with many, 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 many other vocalists as well, including um, right at the tail end of his life in 1990, 1991, uh, he was on the great Abby Lincoln's uh, album, You Gotta Pay the Band. And um, he's even recorded with celebrities who made vocal jazz albums. Yeah, I'm going to say that one more time so it registers. He's even performed on celebrity albums who thought that they were jazz vocalists. And I'm talking about Sybil Shepherd. In case you're scratching your head going, who? <laughs> if you remember a TV show back in the 80s called Moonlighting, in which Al Jarreau did the theme song, um, Sybil Shepherd was in this kind of detective comedy sort of show with a very young Bruce Willis. And that's kind of where he got his start. And uh, they were the two main characters, David and Maddie, on Moonlighting. The reason I know this is because I used to watch it when I was a kid. Um, and Sybil Shepherd, as gorgeous as she was, before she was in Moonlighting and movies and things like that, she thought that she wanted to be a jazz vocalist. I'm not saying that it was terrible. I mean, she could carry a tune, but to be frank, and no disrespect, she's not an Abby Lincoln or an Ella Fitzgerald. So, but Stan made an entire album backing Sybil Shepherd. So, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, there you go. Um... So he's performed with quite a lot of vocalists, but not a lot of people know that he actually recorded with Ella in the studio, too. So there you go, some of that Verve magic. Speaking of Verve magic, uh, the second track that we heard was Cherokee, the old standard Cherokee, um, which was made famous by Charlie Barnett and his orchestra and then taken to greater heights with the one and only Charlie Parker as Coco. Well... Stan Getz is in the Verve Recording Studios with Shelly Mann on drums, Leroy Venegar on bass, Lou Levy on the piano, and the one and only vibraphone master, Lionel Hampton, on the vibraphone. And, of course, Stan Getz is on tenor saxophone. It comes from the album Hamp and Getz. So, uh, and it's, it's not a one-off thing. Like, it's an entire album with dual billing, equal billing. And they have like a ballad medley, and um, they've got an original tune by Lionel Hampton called Gladys, uh, a tune called Headache. 
that, that no one knows who wrote. And they even do a cover of Count Basie's Jumpin' at the Woodside. You can't go wrong with this album. So, And uh, you can hear from the get-go that it's a, quite a, at a clip you know, from Cherokee. But it was recorded in 1955. So great, great stuff there. And staying in the 50s, recorded in San Francisco 1958, was our very first track that we heard, the standard My Buddy. And that comes off of the album Sextet. Now, that's the cool part. Let me tell you who was all in the Sextet. So the main two instruments that we heard was, of course, Stan Getz on the tenor saxophone and a vibraharpist named Cal Jader. But before, besides Cal Jader and Stan Getz, we also heard Vince Guaraldi on piano. And if that name sounds slightly familiar, if you've ever seen the Charlie Brown series, you know who exactly who Vince Guaraldi is as he wrote all the music for that. Then on guitar, Eddie Duran... On drums, Billy Higgins. That's right, the same Billy Higgins that you've probably have many, many albums of. You know, with him playing behind great artists such as Ornette Coleman and Lee Morgan. Uh, but here's the cool part: on bass, the one and only Scott LaFaro. Now, Scott LaFaro was part, an integral part of the Bill Evans trio recordings live at the Village Vanguard with Paul Motion, Scott LaFaro, and Bill Evans. That trio is the one that recorded the seminal versions of Waltz for Debbie, Alice in Wonderland, etc. So um, Scott LaFaro also recorded, was one of the basses that was on the recording of Free Jazz by Ornette Coleman for Atlantic Records. Um, Scott LaFaro is one of those that probably would have went to extraordinary heights as he believed in not letting the bass just be the anchor of or the root of the chords in any setting. He believed that he, I mean, he could go that route, but he mainly was trying to elevate the bass into higher, you know, uh, streams of expression. So... Scott LaFaro is wonderful to have him here along great company like Billy Higgins, Vince Guaraldi, Cal Jader, and Stan Getz for that version of My Buddy, which closes out this beautiful 1958 album, Sextet, for Fantasy Records. Now, um, speaking of that, the 50s, that, well, actually, it kind of reminds me of you know going back in time. One of the things that I found really interesting uh, so far in the Stan Getz book by Donald Magan is um, when he joined the Stan Kenton Orchestra. And he, about this time that he joined the Stan Kenton Orchestra, I want to say it was like 1943, 1944, and he had just got off the road with Jack Teagarden. That's right, the same Jack Teagarden that played with Louis Armstrong. And he was, as a kid, getting kind of brought to the ranks by Jack Teagarden and that kind of style of jazz. And then he took a gig with Stan Kenton. And he was with Kenton for a while. And about the same time that he was on the road with the Stan Kenton Orchestra, which was a super loud band, by the way. Um, super brassy. And at the same time that Stan Getz was in the orchestra is when... Kenton expanded 
the trumpet section from four trumpets to five and the trombone section from four trombones to five, making it like one of the first big bands to have ten brass instruments. As if, you know, it's like, no, these go to 11. (laughs) But the big band style. But about that same time, Stan Getz was really like going crazy listening to Lester Young records. And he would listen to them over and 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 over again. Sometimes playing one record ten times until he could play Lester's exact solo, note for note. Because Stan was a melodist as well. He was a very melodic improviser. That's the way he wanted to improvise. And at that point in time, you had two routes that you could go. There was like a fork in the road. So you could go route A, which is the Coleman Hawkins style of looking at chord changes or hearing chord changes very vertically. And you're thinking about how they're spelt and any of the extensions upon them, like the 9, the 11, the 13. And if I'm geeking out theory-wise a little bit, just hold tight with me. But the other option, Route B, was the Lester Young option, in which you are looking at improvising on a very horizontal fashion, which is that your melody carries through, carries over, bleeds over into other chord changes. And that was very much what Stan Getz was drawn to, as many musicians were, about Lester Young and his improvising style. Plus, the fact that Lester Young did not have a gritty, guttural kind of sound the way that Coleman Hawkins' sound was. Lester Young had a very light, airy tone that almost just like like a bird. It almost had wings. You know, it was just soaring and floating above, like a cloud, if you will. And Stan was automatically drawn to that sort of style. So getting all the way back around to the Kenton thing, he asked Stan for more solos uh, so that he could basically, you know, work his ideas out. And he was actually talking with Stan about maybe incorporating more ideas like the Basie Band had when Lester Young was there and, you know, improvising in that sort of style. Of course, Stan Kent was never one for wanting to swing so much as he wanted to just be loud. So, (laughs) Stan told, well, Stan Kenton, because that gets confusing. Stan Kenton told Stan, a young Stan Getz, no, stop wasting your time with that foolish Lester Young stuff. That stuff's too simple. That's what he told Stan Getz. That stuff is too simple. And Stan Getz, after working hard, diligently, hours, and revealing the genius of Lester Young from learning his solos note for note on all these records, knew that Stan Kenton was wrong. And rather than, you know, argue with the guy who's the leader of his own band, he just automatically knew, like, yeah, my days with this orchestra are numbered. And he knew that his days with that orchestra was numbered even when his own family, he moved his entire family from the Bronx out to Los Angeles 
because it was sunnier and that, you know, and it was better. It was a better life for them. Uh, but he was the one provider for his father, his mother and his brother, Rob, Bob, Robert, something like that. Um, so yeah, he was basically supporting uh, a family of four and he still had the artistic integrity and intestinal fortitude to sit there and say like, I'm not going to take the safe bet because I can't be with somebody who doesn't respect something that I know is truly a musical genius. Meaning Lester Young. So, man, I tell you, I'm really digging the hell out of this book. So, um, yeah, and I I would highly, you know, I would highly sit there and say, like, hey, I advise you to check out this book, you know, because it's Donald Maggins, M-A-G-G-I-N, his book called Stan Getz, A Life in Jazz. And it's, oh, man, it's very revealing, very revealing. So, but anyway, uh, enough from me. You know, I like to give little tidbits here on these breaks, but kind of break things up for a while. But um, the next thing that we've got coming up is uh, a duo set. That's right. We're going to be listening to two tracks of Stan Getz, uh, an equal billing with two trombone players. Yeah, I'm going to give you a, quite an array here coming up. So uh, this set is Stan Getz with some trombones. And that trombone is a wonderful foil against the tenor saxophone. Check it out. Thank you. 
You can hear by Stan's uh, chuckle there at the end. Him and J.J. Johnson are having an incredible time there, live at the Opera House. So, um, that Stan gets on tennis sax, J.J. Johnson on the trombone, Oscar Peterson on the piano, Herb Ellis on guitar, Ray Brown on the bass, and Connie Kay from Modern Jazz Quartet on drums. We heard... The Rogers and Hart standard, My Funny Valentine, recorded in the fall of 1957 for Verve Records. Mm, just a beautiful, sublime duo between Stan Getz and J.J. Johnson. Mm. Uh, before that, we heard the English tune, the British tune, if you will, a nightingale sang in Barclay Square. Although Stan gets joked on one of those concerts, he said, or as we say in America, Berkeley Square. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was from the album uh, recorded in fall 1961. That's actually the the name of the album. And it's with Stan Getz and valve trombonist Bob Brookmeyer. Now, they actually made a couple of recordings. Uh, Stan Getz and Bob Brookmeyer were together uh, on the recording live at the Shrine, um, in which they play tunes um, that are both standards and originals, like uh, Bob Brookmeyer's Open Country, which is a great tune, and it's a great swinging tune. Um, But then even for the album later on, uh, called Bob Brookmeyer and Friends. Um, he invited many jazz musicians to come and record like a who's who with him, and Stan was one of them. So 
uh, a beautiful, long-lasting friendship there. So two sublime, wonderful trombonists uh, with Stan Getz. Stan Getz and Bob Brookmeyer and Stan Getz and J.J. Johnson. Now, it should also I should also mention this. Bob Brookmeyer went on to become one of the main cogs in what was known as the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Big Band or the Village Vanguard Orchestra. Um, he became one of the chief arrangers and uh, besides Thad Jones and uh, contributed very, very cool arrangements like ABC Blues. Um, and eventually was not only uh, part of that organization, but kind of elevated it in difficulty and, uh, and its textures and things like that in his arranging. Uh, it, I recall the, the great Bill Dobbins book, Inside the Score, uh, on jazz arranging. And they basically break up the, the, the fundamentals of arranging into three separate sections of the book. And it starts out with more like Sammy Nestico charts for like Count Basie. That's like beginner level. And then the intermediate level of jazz arranging uh, past like the drop twos and things like that is Thad Jones arrangements for the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Big Band, and then the more advanced arranging concepts that Bill Dobbins points out in this book um, is Bob Brookmeyer. So, <laughs> my history with Bob Brookmeyer is a thorny one, but you know, I, I I started off my jazz love affair, you know, 30 years ago, and pinpointing out like, oh. That's the guy who's at the beginning of Jazz on a Summer's Day with Jimmy Jufrey on the valve trombone, and they're playing Train in the River with Jim Hall. Okay. Well, that he sounds great. No, that's cool, man. So I was a fan of Bob Brokemeyer, and then I heard the recordings with him and Jerry Mulligan, uh, the California concerts on Pacific Jazz, and I'm like, well, he's cool, man. He's everywhere. This guy's hip. And then I had to, like, learn about these advanced concepts I'm like oh you son of a bitch <laughs> you know what I mean and so uh, and then you, you, you finally wrap your head around it and you realize okay no, no 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 like he's really doing some awesome stuff you know that that that's some cool textural things going on in, in his style of arranging and so like okay he's hip again <laughs> so it's back and forth with Bob uh, but in all kiddingness uh, aside, Bob is one of the the great arrangers in the jazz canon and uh, should be well remembered as such. So, um, and J.J. Johnson is bebop bone, man. I mean, that's the guy that said, like, I can play what Charlie Parker's playing on this trombone. I don't have to have buttons. You know, so there you have it. You got to give props to J.J. for that. Um, all right. So this next set coming up is uh, a, another duo set with Stan being featured with two saxophone players. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Jazz Podcast. Dr. Jazz Podcast. Gets and Guests. Thank you. 
All right. So that last tune is called Too Close for Comfort. And it comes off the album Getz Meets Mulligan. Talking about Stan Getz and Jerry Mulligan. Uh, in Hi-Fi on the Verve label. Uh, backed by Stan Levy on the drums, Ray Brown on the bass, and Lou Levy on the piano. And Stan Getz actually got to pick the rhythm section for the date. Uh, with the two uh, star jazz saxophonists meeting together. And um, Jerry Mulligan had this harebrained idea that on half of the album, three of the six tunes, that they switch horns. You heard me right. So that Jerry Mulligan would be playing the tenor saxophone and that Stan Getz would be playing the Barry sax. Now... If it sounded a little odd to you, that's because you got a treat. <clears throat> you got to hear Stan Getz play the Barry sax on that last track, and Jerry Mulligan play the tenor sax. Not the other way around. And for seasoned listeners, you may have already picked that out because there was these really hard attacks on the low notes of that Barry sax. Kind of a thud, thud. And uh, <laughs> that was all Stan gets. So you got quite a treat here on uh, this episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. So, um, yeah, that that's kind of cool. But it, it, it's not just for shits and giggles, so to speak. It's because uh, Stan actually played bassoon and bass in his school band when he was in grade school uh, before moving on to the tenor saxophone. So he's not necessarily completely foreign to lower sounding instruments, although based on some of those hard attacks, uh, I don't think that he was ready for necessarily the strength of um, Jerry Mulligan's reed strength. But Jerry Mulligan sounds great on the tenor. And you got to hear him solo on both uh, of those uh, respective instruments. So quite a treat. And uh, just to prove a little bit further that um, Stan Guest does not shy away from any saxophonic challenge, (laughs) if you will, Uh, the tune that we started off that set with was Five Brothers. And uh, that's Stan Getz, labeled as Stan Getz and his four brothers. Uh, in which it was Stan Getz, Zoot Sims, Al Cohn, Alan Eager, and Brew Moore, all on tenor saxophones. Five tenor saxophones. With a backing rhythm section of Charlie, per- Charlie Perry on drums, Gene Ramey on the bass, and Walter Bishop on the piano. And it comes from the prestige album, The Brothers. Uh, recorded in April 8th, 1949. And um, if they're really going along with the whole Brothers theme, uh, here's a little backstory on that, is because there was a tune when Stan Getz was part of the Woody Herman Orchestra, the second herd, if you will. Um, There was a tune called Four Brothers that was a big hit for Woody Herman, and it featured his... um, unorthodox sax section which was four tenors 
and uh, you may have heard uh, Four Brothers before. It's like so yeah, that's the Four Brothers theme, and you know my own very uh, haphazard scat language, but. That was one of those four brothers were Stan Getz. <clears throat> and many of the others were right here with him. So, including Zoot Sims. So, the solo order, because they all had that kind of cool school, Lester Young-inspired tenor sound, even though they're kind of doing it in their own way, um, the solo order that we heard first tenor solo was Alan Eager. The second tenor solo was Al Cohn. The third tenor solo was Zoot Sims. The fourth tenor solo was Stan Getz. And the fifth tenor solo was Brew Moore. So, yeah. I mean, going head-to-head with four additional tenor saxophone players, even if you are the, the headliner, good God. <laughs> it takes some guts to do that. You know what I'm saying? So... Uh, but there's lots of great, great tracks on, on, on this album. Uh, there's an alternate take of Five Brothers as well. Uh, four and One More, uh, M-O-O-R-E, uh, an alternate take of that. A tune called Battleground, Battle of the Saxes. Um, so you get the idea. It's almost like a cut-and-head session atmosphere for that record. But it's a good one. It's an absolute good one. So... Um, yeah, if you like that kind of cool school uh, tenor sound, definitely check out the Brothers album. Now, if you're wanting to try to jot all this down, like I said before earlier on, don't worry. I'm, I'll, I mentioned it earlier, but I'll mention it again. We've got all the information for every track, every artist, and all the artwork in the order that you hear it here on the episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. All you got to do is go to our website. <clears throat> and that website is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D R J A Z Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And you can find out all that information there. So if you want to order something or if you want to go and if you have a local record store, go and find that record, you know, support local record stores if you can, by all means. Um, and if not, if you got the chance to order it through them, Order it through them because it gives them some business. You know, we all need to help each other out in uh, in this musical family. So, um, also, you can click at the top of the page, contact, and write us an email. We would love to hear from you. Uh, let us know that you're listening, that you dig it, or that you hate it. Or if you have a Stan Get story, by all means, share. Share away. I love learning and I love finding out little things. So, um, yeah, we welcome all, you know, listeners, and uh, we always try to write back. So there you go. You will get a response from us. So it might not be a lengthy response, but we promise that we will write back unless your email is full or if you give us the wrong email address. So because there was that one instance, but, you know, I already addressed that in an earlier podcast, like a couple of episodes ago. But, um, but yeah, so... <clears throat> Thank you for listening. We are listening to the spotlight of Stan Getz and guests here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Up next, we have a, another two-song set 
featuring Stan and wonderful company with some great jazz trumpet players. So you don't want to go anywhere. Thank you for listening. Keep on listening and don't go anywhere here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
Thank you. 
All right. So that was the standard I, I'll Remember April. <clears throat> and that featured, of course, Stan Getz on the tenor saxophone with trumpet jazz legend Chet Baker. Now, the backing rhythm section was Marshall Thompson on drums, Victor Sproles on the bass, and Jody Christian on piano. It was recorded in 1958 for the Verve label on the album Stan Meets Chet. And, <clears throat> of course, they would go on to record many, many more albums, uh, but it's not necessarily um, due to their own making. <laughs> Um, it's well documented that Stan Getz and Chet Baker never particularly liked each other. And uh, although they had musically compatible styles, being very melodic and cool school based, uh, they only worked briefly together in three different periods. Their mutual hostility can be felt in subtle ways on this particular session. Even with some good moments, some folks think that it doesn't live up to its potential that it could. Um, I don't know. I think there are some great recordings, personally, of Stan Getz and Chet Baker, and this is one of the earliest ones. There's also a live uh, uh, version called West Coast Live. It's a two-CD set, and then there's a Quintessence uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2 set, and then there's Line for Lions, in which they perform together as well. Um, but yeah, so that hostility... Thing from the trumpets to stand towards Stan Getz uh, seems to be a recurring theme here with the trumpets um, and him because the first tune that we heard in that set was the Duke Ellington classic It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing and it comes from the album Diz and Getz so you guessed it it's Stan Getz tenor sax and Dizzy Gillespie trumpet with Oscar Peterson on the piano, Herbie Ellis on the guitar, Ray Brown on the bass, and Max Roach on the drums. Um, it's another Verve release, and um, Oscar Peterson recounts that session <laughs> that Dizzy really wanted a piece of Stan Getz that day. Uh, it was a kick to see them go after each other, but Dizzy was out for blood. He wanted to take advantage of somebody, and I decided it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> Uh, is one of Oscar Peterson's recollections of that day. And if you listen to the fire and ice of Diz and Getz, you can kind of hear that in that. And I will say that even though it's just over six and a half minutes, that is one of the more brisk versions of that tune that I've ever heard. So Dizzy one apparently did want blood. So, now what does that say? You know, that on the same instrument in which you would, would expect more of a head-cutting contest, like back in the day, you know, like saxophone battles, etc., you actually get more love with the saxophone players, if your stand gets, than you do the trumpet players. Go figure. Crazy. But it is what it is. So there you go. Um, all right, so we've got one more set coming at you uh, on this Gets and Guests edition of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Uh, once again, I want to thank you all for listening and taking the time to um, 
you know, just check out the podcast and, and l- listen to some great jazz. That's what it's all about. <clears throat> you know, I mean, we're not making any money over here. In fact, we actually have to pay SoundCloud in order to upload the podcast. So it's truly just a labor of love. I'm just trying to spread great jazz to a lot of folks. You know what I mean? And and get, you know, people hip to some cool names, man, like Stan Getz. So, uh, or even if you've heard Stan Getz, maybe a deeper appreciation of Stan Getz. Maybe some things you didn't know about Stan Getz, you'll come away learning. So, um, yeah, it's nothing but love here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast. We believe in brotherhood and love and opening the door for everybody. We're boundless here. So, uh, with that said, we've got three really phenomenal guitarists playing with Stan Getz in this last set. So, we do certainly hope you enjoy it. And thank you for listening and spending a little time with us here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
Nights of quiet stars, quiet chords from my guitar, floating on the silence that surrounds us. Quiet thoughts and quiet dreams, quiet walks by quiet streams, and a window that looks out on Corcovado. Oh, how lovely! Felicidade, meu amor 
we started off that set with a beautiful rendition of the standard Tis Autumn, which featured Stan Getz on the tenor saxophone and the guitar stylings of the master, Jimmy Rainey. Duke Jordan on the piano, Bill Crow on the bass, and Frank Izzola on drums. That reminds me. Um, there is a book by Bill Crow called Jazz Anecdotes, and it is hilarious. I mean, it's one of the few jazz books I could just not put down. It was hilarious. It made me laugh out loud. It's a very quick read, um, and it's it's so good. So if you get a chance to snag a copy of bassist Bill Crow's book, Jazz Anecdotes, I mean, it is just chock full of great stories. I can I cannot recommend that book high enough. So check that out. Anyway, Tis Autumn, uh, you can find that track on the album Stan Getz Plays. As generic as that sounds, uh, it's just a gorgeous album. I mean, just tons of standards like Body and Soul, Stella by Starlight, Stars Fell in Alabama, Thanks for the Memory, These Foolish Things, How Deep is the Ocean, and like the tune that we just heard, Tis Autumn, and they're all just fantastic little miniatures. Um, after that, we heard the just heavenly sound of Johnny Smith <clears throat> on the guitar off of his album Moonlight in Vermont, featuring Stan Getz on the tenor saxophone. Uh, of course, Getz is on tenor saxophone, Johnny Smith on guitar, Sanford Gold on piano, Eddie Safransky on bass, who played with the Stan Kenton band for years um, and is on many of Stan Kenton's seminal albums. So that's probably where um, the call came in for Safransky. Uh, Don Lamond is on the drums, and it was recorded on March 11, 1952 for Roulette Jazz Records. Moonlight in Vermont, the title track. And then we ended with um, one of the tunes that is best known in Stan Getz's catalog, Quiet Nights of Quiet Stars, better known as Corcovado, off of the legendary album Getz Gilberto, uh, recorded March 18th and 19th, 1963. Uh, Astrid Gilberto on the vocals, Milton Banana on the drums, Tommy Williams on the bass, uh, Antonio Carlos Jobim on the piano. The male vocals and guitar stylings was by the just indefatigable, beautiful sounds of Joao Gilberto. And of course, Stan Getz on the tenor saxophone. So this is the album. Like, there, if you're one of those cats that only have like 10 jazz albums in your whole collection... This has to be one of them, right up there with Kind of Blue by Miles Davis and The Love Supreme by John Coltrane. Most folks gravitate towards Getz Gilbert. Um, thank you so much again for listening and uh, being with us on this spotlight of Getz and Guests. Um, we, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, remember, you can check out the website for all the info on each one of these tracks in the order that they were presented, plus album artwork and the artists. Uh, that website is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. And remember to share with your friends and write to us if you'd like to. We'd love to hear from you, and we will respond back. 
So in the famous words of Duke Ellington, thank you so much for listening, and we do love you madly. And until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now, because in jazz, we trust.